It's Monday the 27th of April 2020. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. This week, in two interviews with people called Jón, uh, we hear from the emergency response from the Icelandic Red Cross with regard to quarantining people with COVID-19. But first, we go straight to the heart of the embattled tourism industry. Uh, Jan Kaudi Hilmason, you are the general manager of Magic Ice, the, um, the uh, ice bar and gallery in downtown Reykjavik. I imagine that a large proportion of your revenue comes from foreign tourists, is that right? Yeah, I would say about 95% really. Yeah. Uh, so that's changed? Yeah, that is pretty much zero these days, as you know. Um, I, and are you open at the moment? No, we had to close uh, 21st of March, we we closed. It was pretty much the same time as most people had to in downtown Lower, uh, yeah. Um, was that something that was mandated by the law change or was it just that you didn't have the customers anymore? Yes and no. Uh, bars, well, we are technically a bar, but we're also a gallery and a tourist attraction. But, but uh, since other bars had to close and we had to have this two-meter thing, uh, we, t- we made the decision to close and also, well, technically we didn't really have any, ma- any clients anymore. Plus, um, we are lo- our location is uh, such that uh, above us is a tourist shop and uh, people have to go through that and they also, well, decided to close at the same time, so we decided with them. Um, with the law change coming in on the 4th of May, is that going to have any impact on you as a business? Again, as technically we are, well, at one side we are a bar, and bars are not allowed to be open until 2nd of June, but I think I can get, you know, uh, to be allowed to open sooner. But, but I, I can. As a tourist attraction rather than a bar? Yes, but um, this is something that I need to take into consideration with the same place upstairs, if they're going to be seeing any tourists coming. But we're definitely going to be marketing ourselves towards uh, the local population, so uh, we might open at least May or end of May and then start marketing for yeah locals. And that's what you see this summer, is it? It's just going to be locals? Yes, pretty much. Um, but I mean, you know, I'm hopeful. I'm one of those you know optimistic people that thinks that maybe we'll get some tourists here, maybe end of July, August, at least, you know, even though it might only be 10% of what we had before, but at least that's something. So I'm hoping that. Is that something? I mean, if you're opening a business for 10% of the customers, is it sometimes cheaper to keep the business closed? Sometimes it is, but in our case, for instance, we have a big ice bar or ice gallery in there, so we there is cost involved just keeping it open plus rent. And, uh, you know, some money is good. Um, it, it keeps our staff uh, busy in some ways and so on, because we, we most of our staff or some of our staff has this 25% that the government allows, allows us to do. Mm. So at least, you know, we're using those that people instead of just having them stay at home. Yeah, because I suppose that's what's happening now. You're paying 25% of wages, but they're, they're not doing anything. Exactly. I mean, we go in there every every day to check the, the temperature of the ice and, and if, you know, making sure that it's not melting, of course. 
and and doing cleaning and so on and and myself I'm, I'm doing the you know vocational marketing here some facebook and social media but but yeah we, we definitely i mean if we open at least then we can you know use those hours talking of the the marketing aspect the social media and things um how difficult is that right now because you don't there's so much uncertainty about what you can and cannot promise for the future yeah no we're just our social media is, is more just to let no let people know that we're there um i think we did we did like an easter egg uh, thing and and over over easter uh one lucky person in the uk got a nice easter egg from iceland and so on just you know make, make, making sure that people don't forget about us and and once we open of course uh, we will be start you know advertising now, um, uh, be, before this particular job that you've got now, you've been in the Icelandic tourism industry for a long time. Um, so you've got quite a good oversight. What do you see for this coming... Obviously, this summer is going to be very hard, but what about the whole year? Again, I'm, I'm quite optimistic. I mean, uh, let's just say that if the Chinese market starts allowing their uh, citizens to travel again, and if the local government here in Iceland decides to do some maybe some tests or allow some tests that are made in, in China before people leave. We don't really need that many percentages of the Chinese tourism market to come to Iceland to actually be quite busy. I mean, last winter was, in my mind, quite a lot of Asians uh, traveling in Iceland and that kept us quite busy. So who knows? I mean, this is just up to the government and of course the, the, uh, the Chinese, for instance, government, what they're going to be allowing. but. But I'm optimistic that, you know, at least we'll get some percentage. I mean, you have to realize that we are at right now, well, okay, 10 years ago, we, we, had, we didn't have that many tourists compared to what we had last year. And we're, we were quite busy then. So it's, I mean, yeah, like some people have said, we may be going back seven, eight years this summer. But still, that's quite a lot. Um, in terms of getting people here, though, you the airlines are in, in, in enormous trouble. Um, who would be doing that? If, if Iceland, they're dropping 90% of their staff potentially at the start of the month. Uh, other airlines have done likewise. That's a massive amount of effort to get that going again, isn't it? Not really. I mean, all of, the, all of that staff is trained and they're probably all ready and willing to start working again as soon as they get the, the get-go. So... Um I don't see such a big problem doing that. I mean, again, they're all waiting for, to get back in the air, mm. pilots, stewardesses. So, and I know Icelander quite well. I used to work there for many years. Uh, they uh, can be very quick and, and turning around. So I'm, I have full confidence in them. Plus, there are other airlines dying to get in the air also. And, um, and there's talk about play even being in play and just pushing fast forward when that happens, whether it's going to be, well, probably not until next winter, but still, you know, there are a lot of people ready to get going as soon as they just get the go ahead from the governments. Do you think, uh, do you think Iceland should be pushing to be the first to reopen then? Because you mentioned a, a sort of a, a, an opening the door to Chinese tourists specifically. Um, and if so, how could that be justified from a health perspective? Well, I mean, marketing-wise, I mean, the international press has been talking about us that we are one of the first countries to really be, able, you know, to be able to open and, and get over this coronavirus epidemic. 
or pandemic as they call it. But um, yeah, I'm, I think we have a lot of open spaces here. Uh, people don't have to worry about crowds. Um, we can easily do these tests. Nowadays we have so many test kits available for the whole country or you know and we can have that for tourists as such they'll probably develop some kind of test that only take a couple of minutes to do these days so I'm, I'm quite positive that we can you know get up and, and, and get our tourism up in, in very fast time and would there be a competitive advantage for Iceland in that case because surely if it's without risk every country would open up at the same time and it would be the same as it was before maybe Again, we we are quite isolated. We can, you know, there's only one airport, you know, in Keflavik. We can set up some kind of system to check people. Um, and, of course, we ask for checks before they, you know, go get into the air, aircraft properly. Um, again, we have all these open spaces. I know the Asian market, they take care of themselves. You can see them wearing masks here, even if they just have a cold themselves. Um, they're quite careful themselves and I think we can set up some kind of system quite easily that, that prevents you know, people getting in too much contact. Yeah. Um, in the coming weeks and the first few months of the summer certainly it's going to be a focus on, on domestic tourists as you said. Now Icelanders love to travel abroad so there's a thirst for, for tourism. Um, what do you see the development being in that regard? Will people be travelling around this country? Well, definitely. You had to just, you know, yes, take yesterday and the day before, if you just went outside the city here, all the parks, all the uh, hiking trails, they were just packed with people. People are hungry to just get out. Of course, the weather was beautiful, and that helps. Um, I think we all are, but, but of course, Iceland is an expensive alternative, you know, to traveling, and I hope that uh, prices might be will be going down a little bit. I, I know the government is giving us 5,000 kroner, which is basically just one lunch in, in, in a regular summer day in Iceland. But um, yes, but I think also maybe some of the Icelandic medium, like yourself, could help us in, in, in promoting those local uh, experiences. I mean, for instance, not a lot of Icelanders know about the Magic Ice Bar and Gallery here in Reykjavik. And, and that's something I need to do, I need to advertise, and it would be great if the uh, media also in Iceland would maybe make some programs to, to uh, help us, you know, get noticed. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, this 5,000 kroner um, travel, uh, what are they calling it? Check. check yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very nice idea, but like you say, it's not a lot of money. Um, will it help? Not really, <laughs> you know. Like I said, it's it's, it's an incentive. I, I I admit, but 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 you know, but I mean, there's no other choice. If there's no flights for the next two or three months, of course, people are gonna and you know when they allow us to go outside more and and do things, if they allow you know up to 50 people or 100 people in one place, sure, we will be thirsty to go out and and travel and 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 if the weather is gonna be beautiful, definitely we need to go. So people will be traveling. And what are some of the perhaps challenges but also opportunities and exciting aspects of pushing the tourism industry to a domestic market? Hmm. Well, um, opportunities, challenges, uh, 
Well, we, we, we're going to definitely have to adapt to a different crowd of people. Uh, I know things are expensive, uh, but there are so many things to do. I don't know. Um, I, we have a beautiful country. I myself have living or uh, working in the travel uh, you know, industry all my life, and 95% of the time I've just jumped on a plane and, and, and gone somewhere. I started working this summer uh, or last summer as a tour guide, and I, I was experiencing my country anew. Uh, I was seeing stuff that I hadn't seen in, since I was a kid, and I loved it. And I think that's just a great experience, and I think that is true to a lot of Icelanders. They don't really know their country that well. And I think now is the time to experience it. Uh, just briefly in, in closing, uh, there's going to be a great draw for, uh, for companies in the further parts of the country to get people from the capital to go and visit, you know, an actual holiday. Uh, is there a reverse of that? Are you going to be aiming to get people from the Westfjords and, and the northeast of Iceland to come and stay here? Definitely. Um, we're going to try to get every single person that, that comes to Reykjavik for a weekend or whatever. And, and, and I mean, Magic Eyes Bar and Gallery didn't exist uh, last year. Um, there's also new things like, uh, I mean, I've, I've re just recently went to the Pearl to see that. It's a great uh, museum there. And then we have uh, Fly Over Iceland, which is a fantastic show. I mean, there's a lot of new things going on in Reykjavik that we didn't have a year ago. So definitely, uh, local pe people from you know other parts of Iceland should definitely come and visit the city that they didn't know uh, a year ago. It's changed quite quite a lot, especially the Laugavegur. So yeah, people should come, and we will try to get them to come visit us. Summer 2021. Um, what percentage do you think it will be compared to last year? Are we looking at back to normal completely, or? Well. Again, I'm optimistic usually, but I'm going to be saying maybe 80%, hopefully. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you. Jan Gwimundsson, disaster relief volunteer with the Red Cross of Iceland. You've been working at the quarantine hotel in central Reykjavik since it opened, is that right? Yes, that's correct. Um, and how many people have you had coming through so far, roughly? Roughly we've had about 50 people come through the hotel in total throughout the two months that we've been operating. And they stay for 14 days at a time? Um, yes, it depends on where they are in the quarantine process. Sometimes they're being discharged from hospital, having been in isolation there. So it's anything between a week to 14 days and sometimes longer depending on if symptoms are persisting. And, and has that happened a lot with symptoms coming up? Um, yeah, we've had cases here where symptoms have uh, been prolonged anything up to five weeks. Our longest resident has been here for over six, uh, five weeks. Um, so I imagine that's quite a lot of pressure on, on, on you guys that are working here. Um, it's obviously a huge responsibility because uh, the guests that we have here, we call them guests rather than patients. Um, the guests here, it's a varied group of people, anything from asylum seekers to immigrants, as well as people who can't stay at home for any apparent reason. So there's a lot, of, a lot to think about and a lot to cater to. You say people that can't stay at home for any apparent reason. What sort of reasons are they? 
Um, it could be that someone that they're living with have underlying conditions. Uh, these individuals might need more monitoring in terms of their symptoms. And we're also uh, catering to those who are, for example, homeless or staying in uh, shelters provided by the city. Um, is there any word yet on how much longer this facility will be needed or how long it will stay open? We are expecting it to remain open until at least the middle of May. It may prolong, but we are obviously taking into consideration how the pandemic is progressing throughout the nation. Currently it's in a down low, but we are monitoring the situation and taking our um, advice from civil protection. And have you had any uh, tourists that have needed to come here? Uh, in the beginning of the pandemic, yes. Um, there were tourists who came through here for quarantine purposes um, from multiple nations. But since tourism, most of the tourists have now left Iceland at the moment, we're not experiencing any tourists here at all. And have you discussed what the reaction will be or what will need to be when they start flying again? With this particular facility in mind? For example, yeah. Um, or, or, sorry, no, actually, uh, more, more generally for the Red Cross overall. For the Red Cross, um, we haven't really, no, no, we haven't really explored that option to my knowledge. But obviously civil protection is monitoring the situation very carefully. And at this moment in time, we are only taking in individuals who have confirmed cases of COVID-19. So we won't be a quarantine facility. We only operate as an isolation facility for those with confirmed COVID-19 cases. That's, that's already happened now, is it? Yes, it has. So that decision was made uh, about four weeks ago uh, when, we ex when we noticed that tourism is on the down low. Uh, well, it's reducing. So that was changed into an isolation facility with only confirmed cases of COVID-19. Um, so that's a massive challenge in itself, isn't it? Um, how to protect the workers, protect the people in the buildings around it, etc., etc. Um, what has that meant for you in, in, your, in your work here? Well, we have to remember that there, the building itself poses no risk to the surrounding areas. But we are operating under very strict protocols when it comes to contamination and protection uh, for our workers and volunteers. Um, we have all the protective equipment that we require. There's no shortage of that. So any time that we are interacting with our guests, we have on the full protective equipment, as you have seen on the news, same levels as the hospitals. So the risk of infection is quite low towards the staff and uh, volunteers in the building. And that's held true so far, is it? No one's had any symptoms? So far, as far as we believe, we are the only responding unit that has not contracted a, an infection during frontline work. Uh, well done. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, okay, and what else is the Red Cross doing? around this pandemic. It's not only this hotel, is it? No, the Red Cross is uh, operating a lot of projects. Um, obviously, the Red Cross is uh, an emergency responder during a national crisis and a state of emergency. So our projects are quite varied. We have the uh, quarantine centres. We had four throughout Iceland. We are now operating three, uh, one in the Vestfjords, one in the north and one in Reykjavik. 
we're also operating um, the 1717 Helpline and Information Centre where people can come in, discuss uh, any issues such as social isolation, loneliness. We have teams of volunteers who call people that are alone at home, are experiencing social isolation and, um, and distancing as well. Um, our projects on a day-to-day -day basis, we've sent volunteers to people's home for uh, visits if they are lonely, for example, and are experiencing um, social isolation. Mm. These projects naturally have to change and we've put them on the phone instead. Uh, we also operated, um, assisted with the 1700 hotline, mm -hmm. where Red Cross volunteers were answering phones, giving information about the COVID-19 pandemic. And I mean, I can go on. Our projects are very varied. For example, in the south, we've called everyone that have been self-quarantining or self-isolating almost on a daily basis or at least weekly basis to ensure that they're doing fine, that they're not too isolated if they need any supplies, such as groceries and such. So it's a lot. Yeah. This, um, it's a sort of a nod to the level to which the Red Cross cooperates and, and, and works with the authorities. Um, but you are a charity, right? And therefore uh, reliant on, on donations. Yes, we are a non-government organization, uh, non-for-profit. Um, and the Red Cross in Iceland since the 1970s, we've been an integral part to the Civil Protection Network. Our um, disaster response and emergency response capabilities are extensive. And we are operating on high levels within the Civil Protection Department. We have representatives on in all stages, almost through any and all uh, response plans. So we are an integral part and we re rely heavily on donations from the public and uh, private companies as well to operate. Why, why is the Red Cross important? Why shouldn't just the government take on all its responsibilities? I think it's important to have that segregation of responsibility or separation of responsibility. Um, we are a specialised response unit in, for example, psychosocial support, mass care, um, casualty, um, mass casualty events and such, so on. We take care of the people, their requirements, their needs, their, social, uh, their mental health, well, health and well-being, whereas other specialised units go for the search and rescue or uphold the law or carry on medical, such as ambulances and responses like that so now, I, I understand that you've personally been involved in a, in a variety of different emergency responses with the Red Cross how does a global pandemic compare what are the differences in the way you approach this to for example uh, an avalanche or a, a volcanic eruption I think what we're looking at here is more of a prolonged response whereas with your natural disasters structural fires or mass casualty events they are more rapid response, um, it's a quick fix, whereas uh, a pandemic, it's a long-term operation. I mean, on average, our operations are lasting anything from 12 hours to a couple of days, whereas this has been ongoing for over two months. So you need, in these kind of operations, we are looking at more resource management and volunteer management. Where do we place our resources? How can we ensure that everyone is getting enough rest? As well as, um, yeah. 
That's a really good, really good point because if you're at this level of high alert for such an extended period of time, people are going to get tired, and you're going to end up needing your own counselling and support services. Yeah, the um, Red Cross has an amazing uh, outreach to the volunteers, and we, and they, as we do, we take care of our people. So we monitor everyone that come into the centre here. For example, we are checking if they have temperatures, we're checking if they're too tired, are they putting themselves on uh, too many shifts, for example. Because you have to remember, this is all voluntary. All of the uh, Red Cross personnel here are here on a voluntary basis. And they are choosing their shifts themselves. So, But we have to as well monitor um, if volunteers are doing too much, for example, if they're putting themselves on too many shifts and not getting enough time to rest. So we have to keep an eye on that. But uh, when it comes to the social well-being or the mental health, uh, health of our volunteers, uh, we have uh, group sessions and uh, psychologists on hand to assist us and guide us. Um, even we take meditation together on uh, an online platform where we sit and talk and meditate just to sort of get us in the um, mindset of relaxation. Um, the 1717 helpline, that I believe has seen a, a spike in demand over this crisis. Um, are people feeling <laughs> bad? I guess that seems to be the case, isn't it? If people are needing more support or is it just because of the lockdown and, and, and people getting to see each other less often? I mean, this was an event that we were expecting when this issue came up and when the alert level was heightened due to the pandemic. Um, you are facing a lockdown, whether it's a self-quarantine or a state-mandated quarantine or isolation. Um, we all thrive on human communication. We meet people, we talk to people, but when you're isolated at home, you will experience loneliness. You will self-reflect and there will be, naturally there will come a time where you start, you know, being lonely. So that's what the 1717 helpline is for. And yes, there was a, a huge spike in calls during the pandemic, but We've handled it, we've staffed it, we've increased staffing at the 1717 helpline with specialised volunteers who are specially trained to take on these conversations and assist with social isolation and loneliness. And do they, do they offer services in different languages? Um, we are operating in both English and Icelandic and we have been calling out for uh, Polish speaking uh, as well as other languages as well. We're trying to keep that variety up and I think it's very important that this service is known, especially to the English-speaking community in Iceland, because uh, we are able to assist, we are able to talk to anyone about anything. It doesn't have to be that you just, any major psychological issues that you're dealing with. Even, even if you're just lonely and want to have a chat with someone, we have the online talk chat as well, as well as uh, the telephone calls. So there is an option just to speak to someone about you know your daily routine your daily life and it can be anything about grief or sort of a whole host of issues that you might be facing but it doesn't have to be anything major because mental well-being is just as important as physical well-being it is i think um, mental health being uh, well-being and your physical well-being go hand in hand if you are not if your mental health isn't 
where it should be, for example, your recovery could be much slower. There, there are studies that suggest, and um, furthermore, there are experiences, uh, cases that we've experienced, that once you sort of get to terms with your mental health being, well-being, your uh, physical well-being increases. So it goes hand in hand. So if, for example, you are feeling depressed or lonely and you're ill or injured, your time of recovery will e even double in some cases. Interesting point. Uh, just before we end, uh, how, does, how does your time look out? How, how, how's your day going to be today? When do you get to go home? That sort of thing. Um, <laughs> when do I get home? <laughs> I've been here pretty much for two months with a couple of days off here and there. Um, when do I get to go home? I think the plan is to go home maybe for a day next week. <laughs> That's tough, isn't it? How, and you're holding up all right. You, I mean, you're clearly smiling, so... I mean, this is what we sign up for. This is what we do. This is what the Red Cross is here for. We've been training for long-term operations for a long time. Mm. Um, I'm holding up very well. Um, we have very good facilities here if we're staying overnight. And there are... I mean, we're working as a team here. It's not all on just one shoulders or two shoulders. We're all taking on the same responsibility. How, how, sorry, how big is that team? Um, it varies. We go from uh, five to two in-house, depending on uh, the amount of guests. And we have also amazing support staff here. We have hotel staff. We have specialist cleaning staff for, uh, that are specialized in contagious diseases and uh, sort of disinfection protocols. We have people here from uh, Landspitale, mm. from the General Hospital, uh, from the psychiatric units there as well. So we have an amazing team. All in all, in-house, we are probably at about 10 to 15 staff at the max. Well, uh, just on a personal note, well done. Keep it up. It's really great work that you guys are all doing here, and uh, I'm sure the nation appreciates it. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. Well, that concludes today's show. My thanks to both of my guests today. Uh, the Week in Iceland will return to roof.is forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook, to the Roof app, and to your favourite podcast provider next Monday, the 4th of May. We end today's show, though, with a song called Needles and Pins by the famous Icelandic band Hjaltalin. Bye for now. Searching for
angels paint you black I will trace your back roads in the dark And you were always my superior Although I wouldn't call you that The spirit of losing brought you back 